Welcome everyone. This is a free live webinar on biohacking your environment. As you might imagine, it's going to touch upon everything. <laughs> We're going to touch upon so many aspects. You're going to learn a lot. We're going to learn how to grow a lot. It's going to be fun. So thank you all for being here and participating wherever you are. Um, all right. So did you know that horizontal gene transfer is more significant than evolution in terms of adaptation? Did you guys know that? It in the reason, let's get into why. So what is horizontal gene transfer, HGT? Well, it's it's this incredible process by which microbes, they've seen everything in the microbiological world is transferring genetic material. And so they're consuming it. They are they, they, they are embodying it from their digestion. And we know that our, our, when we eat food, we actually modulate our genes. You know, that's what epigenetics, you know, the, the very tiny molecules in food, all of that, right? The, the, the microbial release in our digestion of those things, all of that has to do with horizontal gene transfer as well. But there's also conjugation where they're literally, um, uh, they're not like reproductively having um, uh, relations, but they're conjugating. They make little microphalluses and they exchange DNA at an incredibly rapid rate. And so they look like tiny little vibrating um, bunny rabbits, except that they're their cells, uh, they're unicellular beings. And that they're exchanging DNA and information about their environment. So it's actually critically important when we see that or when we don't see that under the microscope. And then viruses. Uh, viruses uh, are, are happening all the time. They're in our bodies, they're in our food, they're all over all the surfaces of things. And most of the time, they're at a, such a low volume of quantity, they have low counts. So they're more informational and our, and our body handles them and processes them as information about the environment. It's when things get to a hyper concentration that they, um, when they're dominant in, in many cases, that, that they cause problems. So why is this relevant, Matt? I thought we were here to talk about biohacking or soil or permaculture or something. And now you're talking about horizontal gene transfer. This seems a little like zoomed in. You've been spending too much time in the microscope. Well, and you, you're like, I thought this was only proven with E. coli. E. coli being, well, let's think about that for a second. E. coli is the fundamental feedback loop for all life on earth. Did you know that? Do you know that 20 to 40% of all the samples I take are E. coli? Everything has E. coli on it. Most of the species of E. coli are, are commensal or they're endophytic or they're part of our digestion, which means they're endosymbiotic to us and all animals. Much different picture than like, the, there's like a handful, there's millions of species, but there's a handful of pathogens and they get all the play they get all the, uh, the, 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 the people talk about them all the time. They get all the airwaves, you know, the, the, and, and, and meanwhile, the rest of the world is dominated by this feedback loop. So what does that mean for us? Well, there's millions of species, only a handful are pathogens. They are plant endophytes. They're found in all animal digestion. There are 18 to 20% of all the compost and, and soil samples that I've, I've DNA tested, but those are specifically mostly healthy samples. As for <laughs> I have examples in the literature where it's it's about forty percent, about fifty percent, um, and that's the thing. 
once again, we've circled back already to, <laughs> to the fact that it's concentration. So balance, ratio, concentration, these things are the way that we actually measure things. Just throwing a number around, uh, if we don't have a context, can totally fool us. Uh, 20 to 40% of soil is unclassified DNA. DNA can take a million, um, up to a million years to decompose in nature. Horizontal gene transfer means that E. coli sources new genes from its environment constantly. So it's, you know, going and consuming and, and, and having relations with everything around it. And so it's constantly exchanging information in DNA. There's only a certain number of slots in E. coli. If you go and check out the the world, because I check out everything, and so I've, I, I'm because I want to know what they're up to. Um, I, if you look at the genetically uh, genetic engineering world, they call E. coli the universal chassis because it's constantly removing and taking on genes that it has these like slots, like cartridges, and so they can like make it into almost anything. Um, it's really wild, but that's the thing is what we've realized with DNA is that there's so much lateral expression that the horizontal DNA reproductive generation after generation expression doesn't really hold up to what is happening in reality. Things are reacting in such a way that they're sharing genetic material. There's jumping genes, there's horizontal gene transfer. There's all these things happening in real time. And so that's why you have like these lookalikes under the microscope, lookalikes in, you know, the most vibrant and predator rich areas of the world. You know, you have like moths that look like snakes and caterpillars that look like sticks and everything above, you know. And so this is why E. coli is in your gut because E. coli was in the plants to begin with. Before animals showed up, E. coli was doing its thing inside the plants. And, and and we can we can see other endophytes very clearly with some techniques I'm going to show you here in a second. Do you see the pith on the right uh, on the left, I should say? Um, do you see the xylem and phloem around that? That's what this actually looks like. Do you see how on one side it's it's brighter than the other? That light is on one side. That's the phloem, not the xylem. So the endophytes are in the phloem. They're flowing in the phloem. And you can see them on the outside and not the inside of those circles. This is how we make things real by actually looking. If we don't look, it's not real. If we don't look, how can we develop our understanding? Um, this is what I've been working on the past several years. So this is a corn seedling root. This is inoculated with, with a, a popular inoculant. Uh, and you can see the mycorrhizal and uh, the right mycorrhizal associations beginning. This is obviously not uh, extremely mature because you would have a lot more expression uh, in terms of uh, spores. So why is this important? Because we are constantly absorbing new information about the world around us and adapting at a microbiological level. That has a direct influence over our genetic expression. So everything around us, the environment. So if we want to biohack, we got to biohack our environment. You see what I'm getting at? The food molecules and the nutrients influence and trigger epigenetic expression. So the microbes digest our food for us in our gut. And your soils and your plants are doing the same thing. 
they're all relying upon microbes to perform the cycles of their of their nutrient cycling or you know we call it digestion but it's really nutrient cycling that we're doing internally so are your plants and soils inoculated with the right biology for your particular needs do you know how do you know but before we go any further who am i <laughs> I'm Matt Powers. I was a ski racer in New England that became a professional bass player. I play with people like this. Um, that's my band, The Cringe, that I was in for seven years in New York City. Saturday Night Live's drummer was our drummer. The editor for Guitar Player Magazine was on the far right. And Rachel Ray's husband is the guy in the green shirt. That's ZZ Top's Billy Gibbons. We had met that day, and later that day, we jammed on stage. And it was at this time where I was a touring musician, a session musician, a studio musician in New York and traveling all over uh, all over North America at that point. I met my wife. And very shortly after we got mad, we got married. I knew she was my wife three days into knowing her, actually. Uh, and and what happened essentially was my wife very quickly got got cancer um and so so she lost her thyroid uh when james was just over one years old our son is is now 16 going on 17. it's a very long time ago um and if you know anything about that uh you know how that can be like an extreme challenge for some people so I had to change course. I had to become Mr. Powers. So I stopped doing the touring and recording and professional musician work like thing. And I just became an educator. Yeah, I just became an educator. And so I I, I, what, what, what initially happened was, and, and we had our, our other son, which was a miracle. Cause at that point they didn't even know without a thyroid, if you could have another child. So I fell in love with teaching, but at first I didn't, I was so, I, I didn't like public school. I had hated that whole experience. Uh, I, I felt like teachers were just, um, like just small dictators. Um, and so like, I didn't like it. And so the idea of me participating in that kind of um, oppressive activity uh, really bothered me. But then as I was subbing, I realized uh, these kids really desperately needed someone there on their side. And so I started teaching English. Uh, I, I was hired by this special school that <laughs> allowed me to get all crazy and silly. I started teaching or, uh, organic gardening and seed saving along with English. They gave me a garden. I had a, a music class. I had an entire like studio. It was wild. I was, it was an incredible, um, it was Minarets uh, High in um, Madera County in California. It was an incredible um, charter school that, that was all laptop based. And because they didn't have any curriculum, I had to create all the curriculum from scratch. So I had incredible amounts of freedom, but I had, I also had the, I had to create individual preps for all 150 kids. So it was pressure, but you had to, like, I had to figure this out. And most people couldn't figure it out. 
And so they're doing traditional teaching in that format and struggling. And I, because I was, I was this first student teacher that school ever had, I was given a lot of attention. And I also did my master's degree as I was being student taught all at the same time. And I fell in love with teaching. I realized I could do a lot of good um, by figuring out how to fix the educational system. And one of those things is connecting people to nature. And the best way to do that is through getting them to taste it. And when you do that, <laughs> they can't deny it. And so I started feeding my kids and growing things that were impossible. Um, and I and I fell in love with permaculture because it was the only way with the soils that I had was like 140 degrees Fahrenheit in the soils in summer to be able to actually grow food um, at, at any level. And this is the, the kind of level I was able to grow at in those soils. Uh, this is an area that was not even watered, throw sown seeds on the ground three months into that heat. Uh, and so I wrote a book for curriculum for K through 12, the first permaculture book, and it took off, went all around the world. It got translated in all these different languages. I started working with people all over the world, started speaking and traveling, started working with different organizations to help them get their food forests at another level. And then in that process, I became a citizen scientist, learning about how to use microscopes, how to DNA test, everything under the sun uh, that pertains to permaculture, I've had to learn. And my family's grown up in the interim. Um, we, we still have our health challenges, um, as I alluded to earlier, uh, but but we're still here, we're still fighting, and uh, we're still loving uh, being in harmony with the world around us. So I've written over 24 different books. I'm currently working on regenerative soil microscopy. I'm 98% done with the final edit. So close. And 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 I've got I've done over a dozen online courses. This I love it. It I've become uh an educator in so many different ways. I've gotten to teach so many different courses and curriculums and create so many different um workbooks and teachers guides for other people to teach in colleges and high schools and schools and homeschools all over the world. And really, I've been working on a bridge to the regenerative future, in essence. Uh, the, the, we don't have the educational materials to train people to be able to start the businesses, to be able to um, run those businesses and be able to have the skills to be employees of those businesses for the regenerative economy. And uh, and I say regenerative, it's not sustainable. It's not the, you know, the political terminology that they're running around with. No, um, this is, this is stuff that we can do. This is what we talk about our future every single year with regenerative entrepreneurs that literally are running businesses that are changing the world, employing people, making good money. And as well, making regenerative soil, making regenerative orchards and food forests and farms and community services and all of the above. Everyone's biohacking journey. So if you are like me and have been worried about health for, you know, almost 20 years <laughs> uh, in such a way that it, you know, sits on your mind all day and all night at times, uh, and could depress you because it's uh, attacking your loved ones, 
um, you, you might have gone through all the different possible avenues, right? Notice how these are all kind of focused inwardly, right? They're all like physical, inward. Um, and we alluded to the environment's effect before. And, and this is subtractive uh, and additive in different ways, right? Lowering exposures in our foods and homes. I know it's the last on the list. Why am I going to the bottom? But just bear with me. <laughs> the, everyone's taking away. They're like, oh, I don't want lead. Oh, I don't want this. And they're like, but what do you want? It's like, let's sterilize everything. Okay, that's good for like five minutes. And then huh, it, it, it's whatever is most aggressive that can fill that gap when everything calms down, fills it. Does that sound like a good policy? No. So we need to be thinking how to be regenerative, additive, but cyclical so that we build and we have health that is resilient in the landscape and the soil and our bodies, all of the above. And so diet obviously is something that like, that's was the linchpin early on for us and my family uh, figuring things out. Um, I got the mental and physical side of it uh, much later on. At first it was just eating right. And, and then I started doing yoga uh, and it's like diet Coke of yoga. Um, it, it's um, diet soda, I should say, because uh, uh, I don't drink any of those kind of things. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, a lot of anyway. Um, but like, I, I don't do like crazy, I mean, wild yoga. I know people out there who are amazing at yoga. You could just kick my butt. <laughs> uh, but, but for me, I have a routine. I do it every day. My body loves it. I need it. Um, and then, and then mental, I started doing meditation about eight years ago and that, that became an ingredient, a must have ingredient. Uh, supplements. Uh, I mean, I'm, uh, <laughs> I take a lot of supplements, um, like a, a lot of vitamin C, a lot of, uh, vitamin Bs, um, vitamin Bs are biological, um, vitamins. They deal with, uh, cellular metabolisms. That's why they're so important. Anyway, I, I do all these things. Um, I, I, I've done, you know, saunas, I've done hyperbaric chamber, oxygen chamber treatments. Um, I, I, I've, I've done a bunch of different things. I, I used to do detoxes. Remember, to do all those different things back in the day. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward with fear <laughs> to doing cold plunges um, because I tend to just get me tight in general. And so I'm like afraid I'm just going to be so tight. I'm going to snap or something, but I'm still going to do it. James is like, my son, oldest son is like, give me the cold. I need it. And so ah, we're going to figure that out. Um, but this is something we do in our family. This is something that like we are all about priming our energy and our bodies and our minds to be at peak states for extended periods of time so that we can perform at a high level. And I think that's what we all want. I think many of us deal with feeling um, like, is that possible for us, right? I think the biohacking movement, Dave Asprey, a lot of these people have shown what's possible for so many of us. Um, and, and, and it's wild. It's wild and incredible. Um, and so 
this is pretty typical though, right? But is there more? Well, that's what I want to talk to you today about. Because you already heard about all of those other things from other people who are experts like Dave Asprey and yada, yada, yada. But I have something to tell you and to share about blue zones that I don't think anyone's ever thought about before. But given the realities around what we're going to talk about today must be present and affecting to varying degrees. So let's dig into it. There's a lot more here. Remember the blue zones? People are living the longest in the blue zones. George Harrison's wisdom. You know George Harrison from the Beatles? He has that song where he's talking about the further one travels, the less one knows. Arrive without traveling, all that, right? When I took Jeff Lawton's course years and years ago, he said, you know, the longest living, healthiest people are the people who don't travel. Of course, my wife is like, <clears throat> like she wants to travel all day, all night. Like she grew up, she moved 23 times before she was 12. We're completely opposite. I am a hermit homebody. Um, that's how I create all the things I do, right? That's how I grow all the things I grow. And so um, there's something to that, not just that we compound our efforts when we hold still we um there's something and you know the meditative i think george was talking about that meditatively but I, I think there's something more to it there's a real feedback loop here an actual feedback loop that comes soil to plant to animal to compost and then to soil again it's this loop that dominates these local everything the local food fiber medicine all the local economies that they support all of them are biologically overlapping and interacting in a predictable fashion and it's also person to person they're in these blue zones they're going to the farmer's market they're talking to the same people every week they're going to the butcher the same person is working on cutting their meat the same person is wrapping up their produce or picking it. Predictability for microbes allows them to spend less energy on adaptation. And I, I, and I mean adaptation to stressors because they already have the processes inherent in them to perform at a higher level, but we need to take away the stressors in order for those to be fully expressed microbially. So all, uh, I mean, you, you, you've definitely heard by now, you know, it's like you can cover your face with all sorts of different things, but microbes are so small, viruses are so small that they pass through all those things. And there's, there's a lot to this because you actually can't see those things without electron microscope for the most part. And so unless it's a gyrus, a, a giant virus, you can't see those things. So, so there's a lot of shenanigans going on and we are missing the actual paradigm for the way humans adapt, the way communities draw closer there's a biological and microbial level to that. 
and I believe we need it. Um, there's a reason why within weeks, our hearts align their beats in a chorus at a church or a choir or a singing troupe. Your hearts begin to align in the way they beat. And as we know from the lockdowns, they've proven that, you know, when you're singing, you're broadcasting microbes out into the world. But what you're actually broadcasting is the environmental reaction to the world, out into the world. And on a community level, that's, that's essentially quorum sensing. And we, when we are in harmony after that two, several weeks, there is a biological and microbial layer to that. And I know there's heart math and heart coherence and um, how would they not be stacked in their function? You know what I mean? Because all of the relationships that matter, the majority of them are electrical, not pH, they're redox reduction in oxidation. And yes, the oxidation is the loss of energy and it's measured in millivolts. It's crazy, right? Yeah. Uh, the future of health um, is built around these things. So microbes carry these informational, these messages to us and these, inf the, the, these modulating um, informational packages. EM Effective microbes is a trademark term, but remember it's trademarked because they're selling this consortium with that name. It protects the name. And I'm, I'm friends with Terraganics and all those folks. Um, and I love EM. They, they, they've done incredible work for the world. EM1 is, is all, um, it primarily is lactobacillus. Let's lab. We can make this with rice wash water. It can make this a bunch of different ways. We can make this with kefir. See how it's active ingredients. It's guaranteed to have lab, nothing else. Um, there's an argument that uh, the, it has with the EM1 Pro has, which is the Rhodocytomonas palustris, which is the purple non-sulfur bacteria, as well as the streptomyces, as well as, um, as, well as the yeast, the cerveza yeast. Um, those aren't guaranteed on this. It's important to remember that. I've tested this EM1, this bottle I'm holding, and it didn't have any rhodocytomonas palustris. So we have, well, all right, it had one count. Uh, and when you're looking at 11,000 counts, one count is not significant enough to be like, it's in there, right? Um, especially when you look at just dirt and it's in there at a higher count. <laughs> So, so anything else would have higher counts, right? So it's important to recognize these things. Um, but EM, it, you know, what is this? Well, it's supposed to be Saccharomyces cerevisiae, Lactobacillus species, uh, Rhodocinomonas plostris, Streptomyces, and E. coli. And and they won't list the E. coli, but it's there and it's meant to be there. Uh, so this is what it looks like at a thousand X with the epifluorescence lens. You can see the phosphorescence there, the autofluorescence of the phosphorus presence in the in the yeast cells they're endophytes all these guys they're endophytes they're messengers of uh, uh, uh of the feedback loop so they're breaking down the compost because ems used in composting 
and it's actually present in all good compost. Um, and so it's essentially like the essence of compost. And, and I know this is true, despite people saying they're anaerobic and blah, 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 they're, they're bad and all that stuff. I DNA sequence things. That's what I do. And so I know like the best Dr. Elaine Ingham compost has EM in it. And they're facultative anaerobes, not anaerobes. So they're non-pathogenic. Important to know these things. Um, and so they're actually messengers. So they're inside the plants, they're inside decomposition, they're inside the soil. And so they're these messengers of the environment itself. And we need these microbes to digest our food and so do our plants. Um, let me say that again. We need microbes to digest our, plant, our, our food and so do plants. Um, there's a debate about whether uh, the microbes in EM are ideal for digestion. EM Pro is USDA and CCOF approved for digestion. So, but the evidence about rhodosomonas plus stress, I know it's non-toxic, non-hazardous, <laughs> but, but again, there's, uh, there's scant evidence. But anyway, put a pin in that. I, if you know me, you know that I'm always going to bring up the caveats, the exceptions, and show the whole context because that's where it's it's interesting to me. Uh, I think that there's a there's a lot of confusion out there where people are just cherry picking and saying generalizations, and it's creating a lot of problems when it comes to actual application. So we need to eat plants and animals from living soil because that way they're in feedback loop with their environment and they're in harmony with their environment. And when animals are in harmony with their environment, they don't have stressors in the same way. And when they're, then they can put on more nutrition, they can be healthier, plants and animals, us included. So living soil all the way up, no matter what your diet, right? Um, is, is incredibly important. And before you're like, well, the oceans, I eat fish, pescatarian. Um, the, the, the oceans have soils too. And, and these ideas and processes actually play out there too, because plants are plants, animals are animals. The plant health pyramid, John Kemp, excellent, excellent um, lens to look through to better understand these things. Keep in mind uh, that he generalizes calling it vigorous biology. We need vigorous biology, but that doesn't tell you who. And that's been my mission uh, Elaine Ingham, we'll talk about the bacteria and fungi, the generalized ratios. Again, is it a saprophyte, mycorrhizal, is it pathogenic, um, all of the above? It's really important to like suss that out and keep those things separated because it will create a lot of confusion when it comes to actual practice. And yes, I know John Kemp has his own blend of microbes. So he does know microbes. He's read my book. He's one of the editors for my book. He knows the microbes. He sells the microbes, right? That's not what I do. I, I, I'm, I'm a former high school teacher. I want you to have the tools to be able to go out and create new things and express and fully explore. And, and, and I'm, I'm really keen on that transformation. I was, a, I taught sophomores. So it was all about preparing for junior year, the big year, you know? So aren't we kind of culturally in that moment? We're in the middle of having to have a big year. So, so this is really important. This shows us that we need balanced chemistry and then we need really particular vigorous biology. 
And then we have plant secondary metabolite uh, synthesis increasing and expressing better taste, better smell, better looking colors. Um, and then there's more the lipid synthesis. So there's more oils and fats. And this is all driven um, by microbiology. Uh, even 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 the balanced chemistry that that's that the biology is releasing releasing um, all of of those those nutrients. Uh, it, it's just and, and I know there's weathering and stuff, but but that's not not primary. The plants and animals evolve with this biology in place. It is their externalized digestion. We must inoculate our soils and foods. Um, have you guys heard of IMOs? These things are take, catching fire. Uh, someone just wrote me today saying that um, they have, had dinner with the Cho family, uh, Master Cho and his family, and they're like eager to meet me and talk with me. Uh, they know of my work. Uh, I've been sharing their work, that's for sure. <laughs> and I know they're good friends with Chris Trump, so maybe, I don't know, maybe it came up, but I never, I didn't expect um, to be on the radar like that, but but they they want to meet uh, and, uh, and, 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 and get to know me. Um, so it's, it's awesome, very nice. Indigenous microorganisms are, are fascinating to me. Uh, you won't get a good answer of what it is from most people. Uh, unless they probably talk to me first. Um, and so I've been doing investigations and examinations and case studies on IMOs. And if you've got samples, you know, I'll take them. Uh, I, I, there's just a few different things. <laughs> it would be best if you actually took the picture so it was fresher. Um, and, and that's also the truth around everything. That's why I'm all about empowering people and giving them the skills because we need things to be fresh. We need things to be on site. We need things to be repetitive. We need things not to be, sorry, John, in a pyramidic structure. <laughs> we need things to be lateral, community-based, communicative. Uh, and so um, this is uh, most likely zygomakota, um, most likely um, um, either rhizopus or mucor. Well, this one's rhizopus, the other one's mucor, most likely. Um, and so there's indigenous bacteria inside them. Those fungi that I just listed that are the white fluffy, they're rice mold. Like straight up, they're just rice mold. But the thing about rice mold, um, they're just like us. And fungi is just like us in that they have bacteria inside them, helping them digest. Do you guys see all that? The, um, I think it's zoom. Dun, 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 yeah, so that's all bacteria in there. And, and um, if they're full of bacteria, we know they're non-pathogenic because they've got everything they need. Let me zoom back out. So, um, what if our foods were carriers for the microbes we needed? So all those back, all that bacteria in there that is most likely a good proportion indigenous microorganisms and at least some portion of saprophyte and indigenous bacteria from the rice itself, like lab lactic acid, like lactobacillus will be in there. 
Like you actually can't. Rice, when you heat it up, you're activating the lab. You're not deactivating it. So, so lab is getting activated by this process. So, so we really need to understand that this is a portion of IMOs and then a portion of endophytic and then um, saprophytic because they're both there. There's an overlap of saprophytes that are endophytes that go into the plant. And then when the plant is dying, decomposing, they break down the plant and then they, they cycle. So they're a constant companion. And this is why people are like, oh, my plant, you know, uh, the, the, it got killed by this fungi. And then they're like, oh my gosh, this fungi is in my other plants. And it's like, you know, that might be an endophyte and you, the management of that soil or that grow or that green or whatever wasn't matching that plant's needs and it's a nest. So there, there's, this is really important for management to understand. And then what about energetically? Well, remember I mentioned oxidation and reduction. Think about grounding for a second. Remember, you guys know grounding, right? So why does it work? I'm going to make sure that, all right, we're working well over here. So why does this work? Well, do you guys know how an old battery no longer holds its charge? It's because like one side of the battery has one thing and the other side has another thing. And then when they like combine, it turns, it, 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 there's no longer like a difference between them. So salt collects on like the metal part and you can shock that battery and remove all the salts. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, the differential is gone. And so everything in life is actually about differentials in life and nature and the systems in our bodies and the soil and the air and the like everything's about differentials. The sky is positively charged. Do you guys know this? The, the earth is negatively charged. That's why we get grounding and grounding has been proven medically. It's not woo woo at all. There, I mean, doctors are like, oh, your blood pressure literally just drops the second you put your feet on the earth. I have interviewed Iowa doctors. Okay. This is not like, you know, Berkeley, California, where they're trying things out. This is Iowa. And they're doing food for us for medical centers to help people recover faster and the medications to be more effective. So they save money on medication. They save money on patient in time, uh, inpatient time. And this is real, undeniably real. But there's a problem here that it exposes that no one is talking about. It's oxygen rich, uh, supposedly oxygen rich. Oxygen's been in decline all over the world, you know, right? Um, the soil is supposed to be carbon rich. Let's talk about that. When they're tilling all over the world all the time, in ancient Rome, they tilled sometimes six to 12 times a year. That's why all the soil in Italy went into the sea, into the Mediterranean. The carbons oxidize, make CO2, and the oxygen is brought down to bond with the, the carbon and it physically disappears. We physically are making the world less oxygen rich by combining the oxygen with the carbon in the soil. And oxides in the soil are the things that are unavailable and locked up. You guys know the Fenton reaction? This is how soil lose, soils lose their dark color. 
You've seen that bare patch that's been sitting in the sun and it's lighter. It's uh, been zapped, it's dead. Is why. And that's higher EH, so that's less energy. And it's higher pH, so it's, so it's more alkaline. So there's no, so the CO2 is gassing off the carbon and the nitrous oxide is gassing off your nitrogen. Not good. And then they leave it bare to let it sink in, right? It's like, what are they thinking? And then they're like, let's do it for all of Nebraska and Iowa. Really? Their pesticides and fungicides and insecticides also kill the soil life and destroy the soil organic matter. Remember, nematodes are just tiny worms. Remember, microarthropods are just tiny insects. And soil structure is about a third fungal, globally speaking. Think about that. When I'm under the microscope, I'm seeing these long fungal strands holding together chunks of organic matter. This right here is terrible soil that I'm looking at. Well, it's actually compost, which is, I mean, it looks like soil because there's so little organic matter in it, but it's, it's this local Texas thing. Um, and it's just all actinobacteria. Um, terrible, terrible. And it's got like a lot of minerals in it. So they're like digging out the, 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 the pad that they're doing it on and combining it in to make it look like more. Not good. And so they're destroying the soil organic matter just by doing what they're doing. And then they're adding this chemical cocktail on top of it and killing it even further. And that kills the structure. It kills the life and it kills the fertility uh, or, or destroys the fertility, I should say. And so does synthetic nitrogen. The most important thing to understand is even raw char, not biochar, char, wood char, is going to act like this. Because as part of nature, nitrogen, oxygen, hydrogen, and, 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 and carbon all live together inside every organic molecule as the backbone for life. So all life relies upon them in concert. So when you hyper like isolate them and make a concentration, they're just lonely. They're just used to living a completely different existence. And so you put them into the wild and they're gonna bond with anything that is even remotely close. This is why they're burning things. Synthetic this is why they're burning things. They're burning the carbon away. They're burning the organic matter away. They're, they can burn your skin. They can, uh, it, it, it's because it's lonely. It's isolated and it's going to bond with everything that you put near it. What's great about biochar is you give it the good things to bond and then hold for you. And then it holds three times as mass and water. It's, it's amazing. Um, so we're, our farmers are draining the soil of energy and life if they're practicing soil management this way. So there are regenerative farmers. John Kemp's been teaching a lot of people um, at that, the, the, the commercial chemical side. He's been giving them inputs that are slowly weaning them off uh, by following all these principles that I teach and giving them the, the products to do it all in like sections. You know, it's a business. This is business, right? 
But for those of us that would like to DIY and natural farm and all it's it's like, I just want to be people have the information because not only that, um, we can fix it ourselves. We don't have to wait for, you know, uh, a product to come out. We can create that product. Just like I want to empower my high school students. I want to empower you guys to create things that are new, that are going to change the world. That so many people like want, you know, try to get me to just focus on creating products, um, loved ones too. And I am, I'm an educator, I'm an empowerer, and I want this information to go out because it's, it's going to change everything. And not only that, no one's doing the educational work. So how can we expect to get to a community level of fluency and to get that like Shakespeare level of understanding? Shakespeare was only Shakespeare because he came out of an environment that was already so fluent in English and the English language was so alive that there was the multiplicity of meaning such that in a public forum, he could speak and talk with third and fourth level meanings and everyone in the audience would be laughing and getting it. And he could dip highbrow to lowbrow. What? That's fluency. And the thing is that only comes about when we hold ideas and exchange them at a community level. Um, and develop that quorum sensing that we talked about earlier. And so that's what I, I that's what I'm after. Um, so we can fix this. We can do this everywhere. But 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 what are what are clay sand and silt made of? Do you guys know this? This is a good question. Um, maybe this will be the question um for this later on. <laughs> hint hint. All right. Silicon and oxygen mostly. They're all silicates of different fractions and sizes. Okay. And when we mineralize things, quite often we're oxidizing them. So they're being dried down to the point of just being mineral. It's wild when you start putting these pieces together and seeing the world in a completely different way, a way that we were never taught in schools, a way that we, you know, there's nowhere on the internet you know, talking about these things, unless you're on my channel. <laughs> um, so they're all related to, you know, remember Silicon Valley, Silicon microchips, um, silicates, they can transmit and hold information. So when we look at the soil and realize that there are varying degrees of clear and light travels through the soil and light is energy. When we look at the soils and we think about information transfer and information storage and then all the fungi is tying together and inoculating. So the whole thing is eaten by them and embodied by them all the time. So, so th there's a lot that, that, that plays out here that's very strong and very interesting. So they're the, the minerals are the hardware. The software is really the organic matter and it's actually the battery as well because that's where the energy is stored. And then the users truly are, the operators truly are the microbes. And we can like talk to the microbes, we can be the boss, you know, we can do that kind of paradigm. Um, or we can be, you know, collaborators, uh, but they do the fine work. Their little fingers are so, I mean, they don't have fingers, but 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 they're at the micro level where they can do the work at the scale that it needs to be done and at the rate that it needs to be done. We can't produce it on our own with machines or other things 
the, the compounds and the nutrients in the forms that these microbes do. It's really important to recognize that most modern medicine is grown in giant microbial vats in which we've trained microbes to create very specific things. Streptomyces, which is the second most prominent microbe in our soil, is makes penicillin. The majority of the world's penicillin in vats, in factories. Aspergillus niger, black mold, creates citric acid. That's an ingredient in like everything. So when things go bad and they form black mold, huh? Huh? Yeah, yeah. So heh, there's lots of reasons why people are taking control of their health and being like, you know, I don't think I want to eat your food any longer. Thank you. Um, so let's start at the beginning. I know that we've covered so much, but let's start at the beginning of everything. Where does this all begin? Begins with the light, the sun, the beaming down on the plants and photosynthesis, right? On earth, on land, different from the water, um, oxygen is vented. Really important to recognize that. So that if you're if you're gonna do some aquaculture, we just had aquaculture and we just had, you know, we covered Veta La Palma's work, the 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 regenerative wetlands. We covered, you know, uh the 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 floating regenerative islands of Dr. Van, Brian Van, uh, Van uh, uh, is it Buren? No, it's not Van Buren. Van, is it not, it's not Van Heusen. Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on his name. Well, Dr. Brian, um, he's in the 2040 documentary, excellent movie. You can see his work in there. Uh, and then Neil Speckman's coastal regeneration work where he's taking a few hectares and then feeding thousands of people in the poorest countries of the world, giving them jobs and then setting it up so that they run it themselves. Uh, and this, this is the future healing the world through understanding these simple processes that are at work all the time, passively working for us. Notice how photosynthesis releases that H plus acidifying and reducing the land, uh, the soil on land. That is happening all the time in healthy plants. And there are some that are survivors in and adapted to those areas that are the opposite, very alkaline, very oxidized, like 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 uh, like heather and other things. No, 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 heather's acidic. Sorry, reverse that. Um, but there are things that are that, that deal with very alkaline soils. Um, but they're they're the non-mycorrhizals, they're a small group, they're the weeds. They're secessional, which is the beautiful part. Because after a certain level of organic matter, the water is held at a high enough level in the soil, and then it's acidic by, by default. So I can't help it. So even if you're like, I just have weeds, I just can chop and drop. I can't do anything else. You'll get there too, my friend. So the hydrogen cycle is the seat of photosynthesis and pH. Notice how stressed plants are releasing hydroxide, but they're also having to release hydroxide to get um, all the different forms of anions. Cations are only coming to H plus in exchange with H plus because they, 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 they bombard the soil particles and the minerals around them to release those. 
again, we look right here, those, those are sugars being made. And when we think about our own diet and they're like, oh, sugar is bad. Oh, sugar is bad. Are we talking about, we're talking about monosaccharides, okay? We're talking about monosaccharides are the sugary treats that we all talk about. Polysaccharides are the medicinal compounds and mushrooms that do not taste sweet, right? Right. Plants are the same way. Polysaccharides are medicinal and strengthening. Monosaccharides open them up and uh, to attack. So they're non-reducing sugars. Reducing means giving you energy in the chemistry language world. So polysaccharides, they're going to give us energy. Monosaccharides are going to—they're not going to give us energy. Um, and so your pathogen bait, if you are creating monosaccharides, simple sugars. This is why we get sick. So why people have candida overgrowth, um, all of it revolves around simple versus non-simple sugars. What if the same foods that you are eating grown regeneratively versus not have these different sugars? Guess what? This is really happening. Our plants that we're eating that are not truly regenerative are pathogen bait. And because of that are giving us nitrates. And, and simplified sugars such that they're not nutrition nutritionally feeding us in the same way, such that our guts cannot protect us and give us the nutrition at the same level. This is why biohacking has to go back to the soil and the plants. And if we don't, we'll always miss. We'll always we'll always miss the real picture. So these power plants are bringing down energy, feeding the soil life, bringing down sugars. They're doing all these different things and powering the soil life, creating soil structure, creating the dark carbon rich soils that we know are healthy soils. And if we don't do that, they get taken away. They get the, the, the soil food web cleanup crew comes and digests them as they should. And this is the thing. Um, we, we have to realize that this is feedback from nature. When we see a plant getting fed upon getting, uh, dying, uh, getting diseased or sick, it's feedback from nature saying, try again. It's not saying stop, not saying you're bad. It's saying, try again. And, and because of regenerative soil, people now have a guide on how to do that because there was nothing before. And you're like, oh, well, I was taking this course and, you know, I learned about compost from them and, but there was no way to actually vet it. And I know that there are microscope people out there and stuff, but none of them were accurate. And that's why I've had to create everything. So this, did you know plants have, have a clock, an internal clock? They really need to handle those sugars um, and, and, and then utilize them because, you know, the next day begins and they can't stop. So it's st stress signals versus strength. You know, you don't eat a big meal right before bed because it'll give you indigestion. Plants are the same way. They don't have a choice. They're gonna continue on the journey with the rising sun. So when you're powered by the ambient environment, you're unable to turn off the flow. And that's why plants get sick. That's why plants get, get taken out so fast, so quick sometimes because they're, they, they can't stop it. They're, they're, they're out of control. And they're moving too fast and they're just, um, they go off the rails, they hit a wall, they, they're, 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 they're just kind of, they're, they're out of control. 
because they're primarily passive organisms, um, they actually don't signal with their their exudates like, oh, I want these microbes or that. It's a shotgun blast. That's again another misconception that's been been circulated. Um, they're passive organisms, uh, and unless they have internal and external biology helping them, they're vulnerable to attack. And they've evolved with these organisms in place to protect them. So when we remove them, or when we dry down our seeds and store them. Uh, we need to bring them back because otherwise they won't be present. Our dried down seeds, we, we kill the microbes in order to dry them down, uh, unfortunately. That's why it's on us to bring them back. Whoa. All right, so what does this all mean? Well, we need to help the plants process and digest their food properly and completely. And how can we do that? Well, we can do that very simply by acknowledging these aspects and making sure they're coherent and working in harmony with each other. And it really is this simple. I know that there's endless complexity in this space. If you look at it at the wrong angle, <laughs> you can beguile yourself very easily. Um, and, and if you look at numbers and just end up counting, we're going to count all the bacteria on this slide. Oh, they're moving. Oh dear. It's like trying to count, you know, 50 chickens in, um, like a, a three foot wide barrel, you know, and you're like, they're all moving and milling and it's, you really can't do that to yourself. Uh, so it, being able to bring it down to the simplicity is actually a functional, layer so that you can take action and make decisions and examine all of these things individually in a way that allows you to to make good decisions. So that's really what I've been working on um, these past several years with the Regenerative Soil Trilogy. So these all work together. They all, they, they, they contribute to proper photosynthesis and adding energy. The microbes help them get their nutrients. The, the, this is what the soil food web's function is. The nematode is an omnivore. Um, is a, this is a testate amoeba. Uh, if you're doing hot compost, you're doing hot compost pretty regularly. You're doing a mother compost. You're going to end up seeing these testate amoebas. They create this test, the shell on the outside of them instead of being the blob because the difference, the constant difference in moisture and pH and heat and redox, the constant change makes them create a shell to protect themselves from that. Um, so, so it is, well, it selects for uh, testate amoebas or they create their shell. It's not exactly clear. Uh, we're still mapping out how these things uh, adapt and change. Um, so much of the work that is being done now is figuring out um, which ones are the same exact ones. So we have all these names and they're actually condensing because they're like, actually, this microbes has three of these expressions. It could be filamentous. It could be uh, a cocci, you know, like little spheres, uh, or it could be bacilli. And so it's like little rods. Like literally, this is this is. I'm thinking of a very specific uh, Norcocades, um, like microbe that we see in Johnson's soup compost. 
So, so it's really important to recognize the fluidity of this space and to be open to that. And that's really something that I've not seen anywhere. And it's uh, put an immense amount of pressure on me to, to create something that um, really pushes things forward and opens the door in such a way that allows for deeper exploration and discussion at the community level. You probably heard of this. This is the soil food web, you know, way that plants get nutrition. This is one way that plants get nutrition. It's not the primary way, um, but this is the whole cakes and cookies metaphor. Um, the reality is a little bit more complicated. Uh, fungi and bacteria, yes, they embody nutrients, and so they need to be released by protozoa and nematodes, but fungi and bacteria are also releasing stimulating and triggering plant roots in a variety of different ways. Free living and endosymbiotic are doing this. It's not just um, uh, like particular uh, uh, types of bacteria, it's all the types. Uh, and then the rhizophagy cycle is primary. Uh, so before there was nematodes and all these other different things, we had simple bacteria and fungi. And we know this through secession. You simplify everything out in a field, you don't have nematodes and protozoa in there. You have bacteria and then fungi. And then it builds up towards those other things. So for the plants that must be there for that even to big process to begin, they're existing only on the rhizophagy cycle. And so what that is, is all the simple, small microbes, they're farmed at the root tip and then sucked in and then bombarded with oxygen, superoxide. And remember, oxygen rips off the energy. So they're taking the nutrients off, which each nutrient has an energetic charge, which is like an energetic key that allows them to do the cycles within the plant. But what happens is they kill a bunch of the fungi and bacteria coming in. And the ones that survive repopulate inside the root hairs. And without this happening, you don't form root hairs ever. Never will you form root hairs unless you have the rhizophagy cycle. So we know the rhizophagy cycle is primary because all the mycorrhizal fungi where they're inoculating the root, root hairs and all the root tips and all these things, they're, they're hijacking the same highway that the rhizophagy cycle used and then they're essentially closing it off and shutting it down permanently when they inoculate and cover the root and 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 clot it. And so it's it's primary. So before mycorrhizal, before you know the compost soil food web conception of, of nutrition, there is the rhizophagy cycle. And endophytes, what happens to them? Oh, yeah, this is what it really looks like. The, the root hair, do you see the expelled bacteria? Pretty amazing. Um, oh, I don't even have it in here. Well, I should tell you the endophytes, they, they actually release nitrogen in order to survive. And so the plant internally is getting nitrogen fixed by microbes that they're bombarding with superoxide to, and they're endophytes. All endophytes have to fix nitrogen internally inside plants to live. Otherwise they can't persist. Completely new information, thanks to James F. White on all this. And so I, I really feel grateful that I'm able to share all that and then verify it and see it. And then you, of course, have the mycorrhizal um, associations that I was talking about. Um, but what does that look like? Uh, it's beautiful. And then again, 
we have those uh, those bacterial associations that where they live in the root. Uh, this is what they actually look like. And then you might be asking why nitrogen fixers? Well, they're tenacious. So they can hold things together. They can cover things. They can protect things. And then the biology is in a nodule, so they're protected. So that's why you can kind of go into sand with legumes. That's why people recommend, you know, in the middle of the desert, get those desert legumes going because they're the thing that are going to hold the nitrogen and release the nitrogen in the soil over time. Um, and then uh, there are also uh, key ingredients in our composts. And this is what an actual, you know, nodule looks like inside. There are these little pockets. And the, they, they promote themselves to a certain point. And then when it gets really, really tight and they've uh, processed as much nitrogen as they can inside there, then the nitrogen begins to leak out back up into the plant. So, so we talked about this picture, the plant anatomy. Um, there's also the leaf surface. So there's the trichomes. Um, all plants have hairs on them that are called trichomes. And inside them are nitrogen-fixing bacterial communities and fungal communities. And so we, we need to make sure that we're, we're, we are doing everything we can to provide the right biology for these spaces. And some of these things are still being mapped up in the cannabis world. There's a realization finally hitting that terpenes are conversations between microbes. This is one of the things that James White and I figured out while we were talking about all this ages ago. Um, and it's those those flavors, smells, and tastes that 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 microbes are creating the plant secondary metabolites that um, in in terms of like cannabis or like frankincense or some other medicinal that relies upon terpenes or smell or taste or, or all of that relies upon microbes. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's really incredible. It's really powerful. And it's new territory that, that many people are, are just getting into and exploring. So fertile. So biofertilizers, biostimulants, biocontrol, buffers, and filters. Soil biology has the greatest effect on soil pH and EH and nutrition. This is really important to re recognize and understand. Without our internal and external biological support systems, we would not be able to access nutrition or process our pH and EH reactions. All right. Um, we're just checking to make sure everything's working over there. Um, a sterile field lacks the fertility and life that is required to process things. A sterile body lacks the fertility in life for health. You may take probiotics and prebiotics and et cetera, but what about your immediate environment? I know like lead safe mama's like destroying her house, trying to get rid of all the lead in it. What are we doing in the soil, the food, the air? Cause we literally can create you know, giant hyperbaric chambers essentially by just crowding our house with light and surrounding our house with a food forest and orchards and everything. Uh, we, we can do this. 
we are not isolated beings. This is one of the most important thing to realize is 60% of what touches our skin goes in, you know, heart math Institute. You guys heard of these guys? Um, you can feel my heart when we're in the same room. There's a, a field that our heart puts out like a 10 foot radius. Some people it's bigger, some people it's smaller, but we resonate with each other and we feel different when we're in the same space together than we do digitally. You can feel it. And as I said, 60% of our, our, what touches our skin goes in. Something Antoinette um, Marquez always says, what if we stacked our functions a little bit? What if we created like a cold plunge that was a natural swimming pool that was also a mineral and biological depth that's tailored to us? And you're like, what are you talking about, Matt? Lactobacillus lab is actually on our skin. So that idea of like the biological dip is not far-fetched. I don't agree with doing compost tea um, soaking. It has me really worried actually because of a lot of things. Um, but, but we can tailor these things. A mineral dip is what people are doing in biohacking already. I've got, you know, um, they're not in this room, but I've got these little bags of seaweed that I put in bathtubs for, for, for doing mineral soaks. Uh, this is something, I mean, thalassotherapy, bath, you know, um, uh, spas, all these, these things have a long history of, of therapeutic value. And we could be creating that for ourselves on our sites surrounding it with plants. Um, so we're grounding ourselves in the water. We're breathing fresh air surrounded by plants. Uh, if it's deep enough, man, it, it'll stay cold when few other things are cold. Um, you can cycle and clean the water with plants and sand filters and biochar filters and a UV light filter. You can, you know, uh, make it mineral and biologically rich this is all possible. What else? We can design our habitats to grow almost anything now. Why not your health? Maybe what our ancestors actually were focused on. You know, when we look at the earliest humans in the Amazon creating thousands of forest islands as they tamed wild plants, right? This is Science Daily here. Um, we can't help but think like, why, you know, were they doing this? Was it just to conquer nature or did, was there, was there something more to this? Was it natural what they were doing? The Aborigines certainly did it in Australia. Permaculture is certainly, uh, uh, seeking to do it as well. And everyone needs to eat as locally as possible. Everyone needs to be in this, this, this loop, this, this environmental connection, this blue, we need to make blue zones everywhere. So we need to eat locally as much as possible. And everyone can participate in shaping their surroundings regeneratively. Remember those blue zones? There's a microbiological aspect to these blue zones. And it's because there's a limited number of interactions. There's a, people who are local. Yeah, there's visitors, but there's a re repetitive, predictable 
series of changes in interactions. This leads to a well-defined feedback loop microbiologically. The local food, the local biome, the local rhythm, the local culture, and the local soil. I've misspelled rhythm. Um, it all is based on the local soil. And right now, 12 million hectares of land is lost to desertification a year. Desertification is the death of soil and it's the loss of the topsoil. I'm not talking on this kind. Natural is natural, right? But when we mismanage our habitats uh, in farms and in national forests, we lose our soil. And you guys know the story. We're seeing all these, these soils run away and kill our rivers, streams, our deltas, and everywhere this type of farming has been practiced, there's been desertification and eutrophication. And despite people trying to blame everything on cars and CO2, it's actually this that's causing immense amounts of damage, maybe most of the damage. And 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 we really, really, there's other factors too. Um, um, th th there's all the other pollutants that are released by all of the, the burning and all of the processing and all the, you know, the, the accidents and you know what I mean? There's all that, that whole side of it too, but which also the, the, the they're, they're ignoring in, 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 in favor of CO2, you know what I mean? Um, so everywhere we practice this, we cause desertification and eutrophication and we can do better with life, with biology. Check out the Albeda project, okay? This is Saudi Arabia. This is my friend, um, Neil Speckman. Uh, he's a guy in Utah. He's, he's worked in some of the craziest places on earth, Eritrea. I mean, he just goes anywhere. Uh, and this is the same spot three years later. And now it's completely covered. It's unbelievably gorgeous that um, those that growth gets chest and, and, and head height high. It was earthworks, perennials, nitrogen fixtures, and rainwater. And, and they went three years without any rain. So you know what's possible. And we can speed nature up. For every 1% increase in soil organic matter, we're able to hold 20,000 gallons of plant available water more in that first foot of, of land per acre. Now, depending on your, your, your arrangement of minerals and biochar and clay concentration, that is going to wobble that number. And, but this is coming from these no-till pioneers that know, you know, they've actually done it. They've increased 10% in 12 years or soil organic matter. But what can we expect for ourselves? Well, with these methods, with the things I'm talking about, with the insights I'm having, and with all the people that are practicing this, we're seeing pest infection and virus and disease immunity. Even when there's the locusts attacking in Africa, you're having these farms in the middle of surrounded by everyone being destroyed and their farms untouched because those things, all those things, infection, pest, they all feed on simple sugars and nitrates. So it's complete proteins and, and uh, long chain sugars, polysaccharides, problem solved overnight. We've seen this in America. We've seen we, we, we've seen this this all over the world. 
with regenerative, with natural farming, it's been proven out. Plants and animals can develop immunity to everything if they have the right inputs, minerals, and biology. High nutrient density. You're going to see plants that are more nutrient dense than any of your other plants in your experience. And then they're going to arrive faster. They're going to be bigger. They're going to be brighter. They're going to be, they're smell greater. They're going to taste better. And they're going to you know, come at a higher yield. So you're going to, you're going to get more. You're going to get it faster. And it's going to smell and taste like nothing you've had before. And because of all of this, you're going to be able to, you know, decrease, massively decrease your fertilizer inputs. And you're like, Matt, I'm already just doing, you know, uh, composted manures and all that and doing cover crops. Great. That will improve those and you'll be able to diversify and do less of that and do more growing. Less amending less cover crops. You can start mixing in with your cover crops, other things that are of value. And so it becomes less work over time. You earn more, you grow more, you work less. If you want to learn more, ask me. <laughs> We're going to have a live Q and a here in just a second. Uh, and, and join us next week. Same day, same time next Wednesday. And we will delve deeper into this subject matter of soil and the importance of it. And we'll be able to learn more. If you want to learn more in the interim, check out all the things I'm doing. See awesome pictures, watch more videos, visit regenerativesoilscience.com. That's a lead link. Um, so it, 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 it just type that in into your, your thing and it'll change into my website, my home site. It's just a longer, like, like, like list of like letters and such. So this is just easier. Thank you all for being here. I'm Matt Powers, grow abundantly, learn daily and live regeneratively. And I will see you all soon next week. We're having two webinars, so it's going to get crazy. So stay tuned. I'll see you soon and get ready for more giveaways. Have a great week, everyone.